Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 272, our friend's favorite games, Steph with Ginkopolis. We'd like to thank all of our Patreon backers for bringing us a brand new episode, especially our new Patreon backer, Lance Morgan. You rock, Lance. All right, Anthony, we are back with another great episode, in particular, an excellent episode thanks to our friend Steph, who will be joining us for our feature interview with a long-anticipated reprint of a fantastic game that's been out of print for quite some time. I know it's been something that you've been searching for, Ginkopolis. Yeah, yeah, this is, it's funny because we invite people on and we don't always know what their favorite games are ahead of time. So then when we find out, I'm like, oh, I don't have anything to say, but I really want to play that because <laughs> it's been out of print forever and you reviewed it a few months ago and I was like, that sounds great. I want to play it. Ooh, it's 200 bucks. So <laughs> I, it's one of those games that's just like on my list. It was on the bucket list. Now it's on to the to buy list once it finally comes back out. Yeah, no, it was very exciting to get a chance to talk to her and go through why it's her favorite and get even more excited about playing it later this year. Yeah, and you probably know Steph from her fantastic blog on BGG, her excellent photography work, and just everything that she's been doing in the gaming industry. So listen up for that feature review. So, Anthony, we got a lot of stuff that's going on with BGA, but obviously so much stuff is going on out there that maybe a couple things fell through the cracks. Uh, we had a little bit of our own online tournament that we wanted to talk about. Why don't you uh, run people through that? Yeah, so back in April, we ran our first tournament on Board Game Arena with Takedo. So we had 16 different people join in, and they all played through multiple different matches. It was one-on-one, because I think that's all you can do right now on Board Game Arena is 1v1. But Takedo's a great game for that. And so they ran through that over the course of about two weeks, and out on top was Lana Muse. Um, came out first, won all of their matches, and we had uh, second place was Simorg, and third place was a tie between Journeyman and Norton 007. So congratulations to to everybody, really everybody who participated. Thank you, and uh, in particular to Lana Muse for just taking it home, getting 500 XP <laughs> from their BGA score board game arena. I personally have not done any tournaments on there yet but just like watching this and keeping track of how people are doing and interacting with that has really enticed me to do so so i feel like i might i'm trying to figure out what game i actually want to play two player because that's, that's how they're all set up and then i'll dive into one but it was a lot of fun to set it up so thanks again for everybody who jumped in yeah thanks so much it was a lot of fun to see you guys out there at the online table so to speak all right anthony so that's what's going on with bga let's get on to the episode so what's up for our question of the week? Question of the week this week. If you're playing games online at all, are there any new ones you've discovered and enjoy that you hadn't played before? So uh, I think you and I have talked about this a few times because getting new games to the table right now, especially for a podcast, is <laughs> sufficiently difficult when you can't spend any physical time with your game group. Um, you're kind of limited by the people that you live with. And in my case, that means a lot of lighter family fare that I play with my children. And for some people, it means nothing at all. You know, some people are out there, they're on their own or they're with a roommate. So I asked, you know, what are you playing online? What did you enjoy? What has been new to you playing online? And so got a lot of great answers here. Um, Eric mentions Ink and Gold, 
uh, play with a friend when another site was down, and now he cannot get enough of it. It's great to play online, very easy and quick. Tim jumped in and said it's his go-to game for higher player counts. Lots of fun. Uh, we had Aaron mention Spirium play for the first time on BGA and loved it. Good taste, Aaron. 100% on board with that. I will say if you're going to play Spirium on BGA, play it live. The asynchronous, because of how many meeples you're putting out and how long it takes. It's a short game in real life, like an hour, hour and a half. Online, it can take like a week. So just something to keep in mind. But he also mentioned Castles of Burgundy and Yukata, which... I've been doing for years because it's a great way to play that. It's still my favorite way to play that. I don't really like the app, the iOS app. It's too much. They just overstylized it. We had Tommy mentioned one solo game of On Mars, and he's starting another one with two players. Anthony mentioned playing Villainous for the first time online. Have Dead Squirrel mentions Dominant Species and Through the Ages, so a couple really big ones. Uh, we had David uh, friend down in Australia mentioned King Domino and Zulk in the Mayan calendar. Both are really good on Borgi Marina. I will second that. Uh, Zulkin in particular does a good job of getting everything on the screen, which is difficult with all the stuff that's going on. So lots of stuff. People are finding a lot of games out there. Personally, for me, uh, I think there's a, a few good trick-taking games in BGA. Um, Michael actually jumped in and mentioned them because I played them with him. Uh, but French Tarot is really good. Scat, I think, is good. I'm not sure I fully understand the rules yet, but I had fun with it. And then a friend of mine actually put together a tabletop simulator mod for For the Crown. Um, it's a victory point game that I've been meaning to play for years because it's like a deck building version of chess. And his mod was great. Didn't have any issues with it. And I got to learn how to play that For the Crown. And now I really want to get a copy. It's out of print. So I have to track one down. But um, that was a pretty fun game. And really just excited to finally get a chance to play it. So uh, I know, Chris, you've been spending a little bit more time on these sites as well. Anything new to you that's jumped out? Well, as you said, there's a lot of classic games that we play a lot on there. Roll Through the Galaxy is something that I'm getting a lot of games in. It's really fast and quick because most of the actions are happening all at the same time. So I definitely recommend that one. Seasons is up there. That was an old favor of mine that... Just never got table time for some reason, and that's getting some table time right now. Uh, Lagranha, I'm playing a lot of that up there as well. There's a good game to play with. You know, and then there's old classics. Like, I played Hanabi recently, which I kind of all but gave up on, because when you play Hanabi in person, even if people are not trying to cheat, they kind of cheat. So at least with the online version, it's much, much harder to cheat, as long as everyone stays out of the chat. So... Yeah, I, I think these games are really classic games, and there's really solid implementations on Board Game Arena, so uh, definitely check those out. I think they're a lot of fun, especially the heavier stuff, too. It's nice to see that you can actually get those kind of to the tablet, so to speak. All right, so that's what's going on with our listeners. Let's get on to the episode, and let's talk about our acquisition disorders. So, Anthony, what do you have up for us this week? All right, first game up for me is... Uh, actually one that Steph mentions in our interview coming up, um, Mini Express. This is a new one from Moieties. I don't know if that's how you say it. Uh, game design, but it's a board game publisher out of Taiwan that has published several really good games. Um, they have The Flow of History, Symphony Number no. 9, and Mini Rails, which is another game by this designer, Mark Garretts. And so Mini Express is a game that takes the basic mechanics of 18xx games and distills it down to about 60 minutes so 
similar to like if you played Irish Gage from Capstone Games that came out last year, and they have another one coming out this year as well. It has all the elements of these bigger, heavier, you know, stock-based train games, but it's not six hours long. So you get kind of a feel for it without it necessarily being a whole thing. Um, mechanically, you have two actions in the game, so it's very, very simple. Uh, everything is very deeply integrated. This is kind of similar to Mini Rails, which again, just had like two actions at the core of this very basic game. They say it takes 40 to 60 minutes to play. Um, it's got a really nicely illustrated map. If you've seen the maps from a lot of train games, it's just a bunch of hexes in kind of a weird shape. This is like a legitimate, fully illustrated map of the United States with hexes on it. So like they're in there, but they're kind of faint and they, they mesh with the artwork. So it's a it's a pretty game, um, which is not something you can say for a lot of train games, objectively speaking. I think they look cool. A lot of people do like them. 1846 looks fantastic, I think, but uh, the, the artwork's often a little bit lacking. Um, you can pick this up along with mini rails, which has been traditionally relatively hard to find. It's kind of out of print a lot, especially with no conventions happening in the next year, which is usually where you can find this stuff. And yeah, it's great. You're building tracks, you're buying shares, you're scoring points. That's, that's effectively what you're doing in this game. And it only takes about an hour. So I'm all for a game that takes some of my favorite mechanics and boils them down into something more accessible and easy to teach and hopefully a little bit more visually pleasing to a larger group of people outside of like the people I play 18xx with. And so this is probably one I'm going to back. Um, I haven't yet just because I'm watching my backing funds, but it's only 39 bucks or so. It varies a little because they have it posted in yen and the conversion rate obviously changes a little bit. But the MSRP is 60 and they're, they're aiming for like 30 somewhat percent off of that. So it's a good chance to pick up what will probably be a hard to find game if you are a trained gamer or if you're looking for something light that kind of introduces you to those mechanics. Uh, so yeah, Mini Express, it is on Kickstarter right now. It is already backed and it will run until May 20th. You know, when you play these 18 double X games, or at least you look at them from a distance far enough away so you won't get dragged into them, the sparseness of the artwork and the graphic design kind of drives, I don't know, drives me away a bit. And it's really nice <laughs> to see, as you mentioned, really nice graphic design, obviously top-notch designer here, and something accessible. I think that's what 18 double X needed. They needed something accessible. So this is really great that this is out there. Yeah, and it's it's not the first game to do this, for sure. There are several. Irish Gage, which I mentioned, has Eno Tool artwork. It's very, very nice to look at, and it's also very inexpensive. Um, and this seems like in that same ballpark. Not exactly the same, of course. It's a little bit different. That one's more root building. This one has a little bit more on the stock side, but it's just cool to me. I like that there's a variety. Like, 18xx games are all big. They're all long. They're all heavy, and they all have variants within that system. But having something else to expand the spectrum a little bit, even if it's not a true 18xx type of game, I'm all for it. So this is definitely one to watch. All right. I'm going to talk about a Kickstarter that was once a pretty big game when it popped out there. And now it's recently getting an expansion. This is Rise of Tribes, Beasts, and Bronze. Rise of Tribes enters a new age with additional way to win. That's the bronze part. All new beast events, that's the beast part, of course, and a solo challenge against a mysterious tribe. And that's the uh, pandemic lockdown part, I guess. So Rise of Tribes, if you haven't got a chance to play it previously, 
Uh, this was a game from Breaking Games, and it was a very lightweight but engaging civilization building game where obviously you're trying to rise your tribe up in the Stone Age and utilizing an interesting dice mechanic in which based on what dice are in a particular section, your strength of action, whether you're moving, whether you're settling, and what you're basically doing in those particular areas would vary greatly based upon the symbols that are available. This new expansion adds, obviously, a couple of new elements to it. First off, there is going to be a new way to win. And since we're dealing with the Bronze Age, we're actually dealing with technologies now. So you'll be able to build technologies. And then if you're able to develop those technologies up to their final stage, then you have a chance to win if you complete all three. So it offers a new way to actually win the game instead of the standard civilization building. There are also all new beasts and a beast events in this game. So in the original game, there were beasts. Now there's more of them. So you have some mammoths, you have some saber-toothed tigers, you got some giant bears. And basically those beasts are going to do a lot of different things in the game. It's going to alter the setup and the beasts are going to attack or you can actually hunt these different beasts down. So it offers a new challenge to the game. And especially with this Kickstarter Upgraded components are a lot better than the standard retail version. And then finally, there is a solo version. So you have this mysterious kind of mystical tribe that you will have an opportunity to play in a solo version against. And you'll actually be able to use that tribe later in the actual gameplay. So it offers a, you know, a number of different ways. If you've kind of played out your Rise of Tribes and you want to add some new elements to it, it's currently up on Kickstarter. And at this point, it's already surpassed its goal, so it will be back, so you'll probably also be able to find it in retail. But if you're interested, check it out. It wraps up on Tuesday, May 19th, 2020. I really liked Rise of Tribes. Like We reviewed this like a year and a half ago, I think, at Gen Con uh, 2018. Uh, this one came out, and we got a chance to play it. And... It's it's cool. I like that there's more content for it. Speaking of like, we're talking about like 18xx light. This was like a civ light. Like it took yes. all the mechanics of like a civilization game and boiled it down to like an hour. So it was pretty cool. All right. So that's the games that we want hit the table. Let's talk about the games that did hit the table and the tablet. Let's talk about our at the tables. What do you have, Anthony, this week? All right. So I talked about this earlier. I'm playing games with the kids. Uh, <laughs> so the the one I got to the table this week is Draftosaurus. And this one actually recently won the American Tabletop Award. And I don't know what that means because it's not an award I had heard of previous to this year, but I think it's it's the second annual award in their early gamers category. So I think they're trying to compete with like the Spiel des Jahres as like an American sure. award, right? Which is great. Hopefully it takes off. I hope so. But that's kind of how it hit my radar, actually. And I looked it up and I was like, oh, this looks really cute for the kids. It's like 20 bucks. I picked it up. And... It is actually designed by Antoine Bauza and Ludovic Mablanc, along with a couple of other designers who have worked on a lot of children's games, including uh, Once Upon a Castle and Flying Goblin, um, which are both very good. Uh, Nagaraja, which is a great two-player game, Sea of Clouds. So it's got a lot of different designers uh, together for what is a very simple game. (laughs) So I feel like maybe they came up with this over drinks or something or just like a design weekend. Who knows? But this this game from Uncama is very much 
a family weight game. I played this with my five-year-old and she had no problem with it once we kind of got around the rules. And it is a drafting game. So you're going to draw a handful of dinosaur meeples and they are all different shapes as well as different colors. You're going to pick from your hand a dinosaur meeple and you're going to pass it around. So it just, it teaches the very basic drafting mechanic to children who have not played like card games and stuff. Then you take your dinosaur and you will place it in your park based on a die roll. So whoever the main, the first player is, they're going to roll the die and everybody else has to place it based on the die roll. The first player gets to place their dinosaur wherever they want. There are seven different places in your park you can put dinosaurs and each of them has like a different rule. So there's one place where you can only put one and you'll score points based on how many other dinosaurs in your park you have of that color. There's one where you can only put one and it needs to be the only one of that color in the whole park, which is dangerous if you do that too early. There's one where you want to have as many of that color as you can in the pen. There's one where you want to have one of each color. There's one where you want to have pairs of them. Um, And then there's the river where you just put everything that doesn't fit anywhere else. (laughs) They're just worth a point each. So you go around and you draft all these. The amount you draft and how frequently you do will depend on the number of players. So like with two people, you're drafting like two at a time effectively. Um, but with three and four players, it's different numbers. And then you score it up and you see who did the best in you know matching their dinosaurs to the different sections of their park. Um, there's a couple like minor variants you can play with. Like flip the board over, I think. There's a little bit more going on there. But that is basically it. That's the whole game. The die roll kind of tells people where to put stuff. The dinosaurs you pull will show you what you have to work with. And that's it. So it did a really good job of teaching like basic drafting. Uh, I thought it was fairly fun. Like it only takes 15, 20 minutes to play. And there's a decent amount of variety in it. So if you're looking for a gamer-ish game, like an introduction to specifically this mechanic, drafting, and something that's in a theme your kids are going to like. It's dinosaur. Like the cover is a T-Rex like roaring in a guy's face, which is, you know, great. <laughs> and and you want it to be short and easy to teach. This is great. So really enjoyed it. Going to keep it. I think the kids really liked it. Specifically for children, for a family. I have a five and a half year old and an almost nine year old. This was perfect. And it's a buy for me. Grown up gamers. Couldn't tell you. I haven't played it with adults. Yet, so I don't know. <laughs> Um, we are in lockdown after all, but for a family game, it's it's fantastic. So check out Draftosaurus. Yeah, I really like the look of this game. As you mentioned, it was definitely a cartoony, art-friendly for the family kind of situation. And the production here is really nice quality. I, I was kind of instantly intrigued by this. I mean, growing up as a kid, I mean, who didn't love dinosaurs? And I obviously have spent a ridiculous amount of money on Dinosaur Island. So this one was like, huh. Maybe I could get this played at the table and not get laughed at. I'm not sure if I could, but <laughs> I would like to I'd like to believe I could. I feel like it would be a good filler game. It is really quick. So like Yeah. I don't know because I haven't done it yet, but I feel like adults would be like, oh, this is nice and easy. Like a King Domino or something. Like I play that with my kids, but I also bring it as a filler and it works on both fronts. This kind of feels like the same weight. All right. Well, we'll have to add a new category to our ratings, not getting laughed at at the game table. I think that's uh <laughs> You know, because there's a lot of cool, you know, family games out there that you might want to play. And, uh, you know, maybe someday I I think that's something you'd like to get to the table at the very least. My Little Scythe, I think that's one of those games that maybe someday it'll just accidentally fall out of my bag. And I'll be like, oh, why don't we play this? Because I have a lot of Scythe players out here. So, you know, just for the fun of it. (laughs) 
why not right i that's another one i've never played with adults but it's very good with children so i don't know on that one but i feel like it could be right i feel like it could be all right so i want to bring you a review of a game from a brand new but yet old company this is the alpha from games by bicycle the united states playing card company so you know their cards obviously if you play any kind of card games whatsoever typically if you're looking for a good card pack it's typically bicycle and this game is from designer ralph rosario and basically what it provides for us is a look into the life of a wolf pack that is competing with other wolf packs for prey trying to survive in the deep wilderness so you, as let's say, for example, you are the starting player and you are the alpha pack. So you are going to do a little bit of a press your luck situation where you're going to move down and deep into the woods trying to track down prey. And the deeper that you go into the woods, the more likely you are to find better and better prey and larger prey. So there might be more food to gain from that situation. So there's caribou, there's elk, there's deer, bison and moose that are the larger part. And then obviously you have hares and beavers and fish and just scavenging for, you know, fruits and berries. So you get an idea of what you want to go after, and then you'll be able to actually track down that particular play prey in a stalking phase. So your idea is you're putting your wolves onto that prey's track and then other packs are doing the same thing because you're all competing for the same limited supply of food. So if you and other players' packs are on that particular prey, then a chase takes place. And what happens is based on whoever's the alpha player there, then you're going to roll some dice and see what happens in that particular situation. You might be able to get food out of that. The prey might actually even get away, or it might die later as carry-on, so you might be able to scavenge food later on. Or you might actually lose a wolf from that attack because that happens as well. Very large animals out here. So each of the animals has different res possible results. Obviously, the larger, the more dangerous they can be. And then once the chase is finished and it's established what the outcome is and if there's food available, then you're going to move into a conflict phase. Now, the conflict phase is the most interesting part of the game because as the title tells you here, the alpha you are trying to become the alpha pack because the alpha pack always feeds first, always feeds most. And now you and your competitors are going to make a decision if you're going to share the food or if you're going to compete for the food. And then that means fighting it out. So secretly, everyone chooses what they're going to be doing there. And in that situation, then there's going to be a fight if someone actually chooses to fight instead of sharing and that will be determined on the, the conflict token so based upon dice rolls in this game based upon what prey is available what food is available your pack is going to be able to survive and obviously as the game moves on you will be dealing with wolves who have been hurt they can move on and become healed to draw back into the pack and the alpha token will move uh many different spaces throughout and obviously the player with the most food is the winner and declared the alpha. This is a very interesting concept, something I haven't thought about before. Obviously, different societies of animals and how they interact with each other and how they manage those situations. And it's never so clear. Obviously, you do have to share sometimes. And sometimes you do have to fight for dominance. So this is a very interesting take, a very interesting, a very different theme from a new or 
somewhat new company that's getting into board gaming. It's a relatively small game. I would say the weight is probably about two and a half for this. It's a, you know, fairly light gateway uh, strategy game. Um, And I'm going to give the game a play. I think that this game, especially for its, you know, animal environmental theme, obviously is something new at the table. And the fact that it provides some dice rolling, some strategic play, and then obviously some press your luck, kind of fight it out kind of situation is, uh, is interesting and intriguing. And that's Alpha. Cool. Yeah, and I, I think I saw this one like float by, but I didn't really pay much attention to it. I think, really, honestly, any new games coming out right now are just difficult to <laughs> focus on. But it sounds interesting. Yeah, it's another well-produced mass market game that's going to get out there. Not much punching is involved. Small box. You know, it's a, a nice, reasonable game for a light strategy or maybe some older teenage family members at the table. All right, Anthony, so that's everything for At The Table. Let's get on to our feature review. So for our feature review this week, we have our we have our friend Steph, who's here to talk about Ginkopolis. Welcome, Steph. Hello, how are you? Great, and thanks for coming on the podcast. So, Steph, before we roll into your favorite game and other favorite games, uh, why don't you give everyone a little background of your wheelings and dealings and uh, your creative endeavors in uh, board gaming? So I have a board game blog, photo blog, and I post tons and tons of reviews. I post three times a week and I feature tons of new games. It's like my thing. I like to learn all the games because I want, I don't want to miss anything. I'm just like, what else is out there? So I play and I take pictures. So I, I'm a photographer and, you know, it's mixing two hobbies together. So I post on Instagram, Pumpkin312, and my board game blog is All the Meeples of the Rainbow. So if you want to learn about all the games, <laughs> you can visit me there. Absolutely. And, and, and we were talking before the show started. That's where I had found you on Board Game Geek. And especially for your fantastic photography work that really brought the games to life i think oftentimes we're so busy playing through board games that we tend to miss uh the beauty of the components and their design and really what story they tell yeah i think photos really help sell a game and you know feature it in its best light so that's what i like to do even if the game isn't my favorite i still like to make sure i take great photos of it absolutely all right steph so let's talk a little bit about one of your favorite games, uh, Ginkopolis. Well, if you've, if anyone's heard of me, you know that this is my favorite game. This is the one I've been talking about since I played it back in 2012. And nothing, nothing's replaced it as my number one game. That's how much I love this game. <laughs> um, if you aren't familiar with the game, there's drafting, there's tableau building, there's tile placement with a little bit of area control. And so each turn, you are going to be playing a card, possibly with a tile, possibly without, but if you add a tile, you're adding it to the board. And so you want to kind of control the different territories on the board, all while trying to build up your tableau to get a really good engine going to get more resources, more tiles, and all these things that you're managing, and ultimately victory points. Yeah, what's really interesting about this game, too, is the kind of joint tableau building where you're building up the city and it's three-dimensional because you're actually building higher too. You're building on top of tiles and you're also kind of managing your cards to give you special abilities, 
but at the same time, you have to kind of manage the grid system. I remember playing this back with our friend Dave way back when, and he was like such a promoter of this way back when. And again, it was a really kind of odd abstract game, but once you get into it, it's highly addictive. And uh, I think recently they actually announced that they're going to be reprinting this along with the expansion. That's what I've heard. So thank God, because everybody's been like, where's my Gengopolis? Because I'm I'm like the biggest advocate of this game. And everybody's like, I can't get it. I'm like, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Chris reviewed this not too long ago, maybe like a year or so ago. And I was like, that sounds great. And he's like, yeah, you can't play this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you can't get it. But yeah, it, it, it's great. The The expansion adds like five different modules, which you can incorporate or not. Um, there is one module that I think is absolutely necessary, but you don't need the expansion for it. So you can simply incorporate the, that part of the module into the generic Gengopolis game, which is basically instead of passing three cards to your your neighbor, you'll be holding one back. So it offers a little bit of strategy and you can plan for something a little bit better. And so I think it makes it a much deeper game. And so I really like that. So I haven't played this, obviously. It's impossible to find. And I think it came out maybe the year before I got into the hobby. So I was like, her. But Xavier Georges, he's done a bunch of other games I really like. Do you like his other games? Have you played like Twa or Carson City? Oh yeah, I like I like both of those games, uh, but they don't nearly stack up against Gengopolis, which is far superior in my in my opinion. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> well, obviously, it's my number one, and I've played a billion games, so it's you know, it's, yeah. it's it has everything I really like. I mean, I really love drafting and tile placement, so that just is like two hammers, you know. Two, one nail, two hammers, I don't know, whatever. I'm making my own things now. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's that's cool. I mean, it's kind of why we like doing this feature because it kind of gets to the root of, I mean, everybody has their top 10s, top 100s, whatever they might be, but kind of getting down to like, what are the things or the combination of things that really capture your, you know, imagination or attention as a gamer, especially when you play as many as you do. Like if you play hundreds of games every year, how does yeah. something stand out? And so it's kind of cool to get down to like, oh, the drafting and the tile placement, and like this particular combination of things is perfect, right? Yeah, I mean, so it definitely works with Gengopolis because you are always, you always have four cards to choose from, but they're always really terrible choices. So it's making a best out of a bad situation. And so it's really just mitigating those options. Do I do this to take it away from the player? Probably, even though this might not be my best play. It's just, you know, weighing the the choices each turn is really good. <laughs> awesome. So moving, I guess, beyond Kinkopus a little bit, um, other games similar to this mechanically or thematically or, you know, however you want to categorize it, have you played that kind of fit that same niche? They still make it into the kind of, I guess, the echelon of games that you would recommend to people? So I, I have a pretty wide range in my top 10 from like really heavy Euros to light, simple, like filler games. So my, my you know, my depth of games is really, really broad. But drafting wise, Seven Wonders is still in my top five. Like I love, love, love it. Um, most people have heard of Seven Wonders, I would think at this point, um, with all the expansions added, everything or nothing. Base game is perfectly fine too. I love, I love it all. <laughs> um, 
Regarding tile placement, Cities from 2008, which nobody's heard of, um, is in my top 10 as well. So, and this is a light filler tile placement game. So basically I draw a tile, I read a number, it's tile number 10. Everybody at the table will take tile number 10 and place it into their their own personal, it's a multiplayer solitaire. Um, so you're building up this little like city, if you will, of these tiles, and you're just trying to score the best you can. So that kind of gives me the same feeling. Um, generally, I'm not a fan of area control at all, except Gengopolis is like the only game, which is really weird. But, um, you know, there's, there's something about it because the, the board is really, people, people usually don't like this or like this mechanic where it's really swingy. If you get a card, you might change the whole board dramatically. So it's about finding those opportunities, swing the board in your favor. I don't generally like area control, but since it's just one part of many mechanics in Gigopolis, it really works. I could see that. Yeah, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of area control either. If only because like pure area control games, you can yeah. build a whole engine and have a whole bunch of cool combos and then someone just like undo. And you're like, okay. Only <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> minutes of my life I just lost. <laughs> yeah, so that, that, that might happen here, but you're also building up a tableau of end, end game scoring cards. So there's other ways to score besides just the area control portion of it. Yeah, for sure. Like once you get those Euro mechanics or build some kind of engine around it, I'm, I'm all for it because it's mm. it adds that interaction level that a lot of Euros don't have just to keep you engaged the whole time, which is cool. Yeah, even though the theme is very pasted on. I mean, you're not going to find much theme in Gengopolis. You're just not. But that doesn't bother me. It would probably bother some other people. But, you know, you're building a, up a city, I suppose. But I don't... The art is weird. <laughs> I'll give it that. It's very weird art. I don't know. And there's no red player, so that's, like, not good. <laughs> <laughs> That should be like a major knock against any game, I guess, I agree. With, the, with the exception of, I guess, the Suburbia Collector's Edition, which literally has every shade of every color that was ever created. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. I want to. It looks beautiful. Just pictures. Oh, I know. Me too. <laughs> How about Bunny Kingdom? That's drafting and area control. Oh, yeah. I mean, that 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 is definitely a game I would recommend. It's it's light. Um, cute little bunnies. It's bunnies. Um, I, I really like that one. Um, he, he, the designer, you know, the guy, the magic guy. <laughs> the guy oh, who, yeah, Richard Garfield. Yeah. <laughs> yes, thank you. I don't know what was wrong with me. But, um, you know, he has a bunch of various games that are drafting, and Bunny Kingdom is probably one of the more successful ones last year was Carnival Monsters, which was also excellent. And Treasure Hunter was also excellent. All these are drafting games. Um, Bunny Kingdom has a unique mechanic where you're picking two cards, though, which I think is great because you're like, there are two cards in here I want. Great, I can have them both. <laughs> it's not usually how drafting card games go. So I like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good one. That's one I really like because, again, it's like a... Well, I mean, in that case, it's an area control where people can't take your stuff off the map. So that's <laughs> like... <problem> <laughs> Exactly. Hey, remember that thing you built? It's gone now. Oh. <laughs> but then you're like relying on like the letter J1 to come out and you're like, come on. And you just don't get it. <laughs> you find that someone else has just been holding it. And they're like, I don't know, J1 at the end of the round. You're like, come on. Come on. <laughs> I can't believe you did that to me. <laughs> That's fantastic. Typical. <laughs> so Steph, what about upcoming games? Obviously the conventions are in high doubt. But there's still games that are coming out or games that are promised. Anything that you're looking forward to? 
I mean, I don't know much, unfortunately. Normally, I'm totally in the know about all the new games, but since, you know, publishers aren't, like, really, I I guess, making a hard push to get things for Origins, to get things for Gen Con, so I haven't really heard all that much. Um, I am, however, excited for Tekenu. I don't even know if I'm saying that right, but from Board and Dice. So they did Teotihuacan which I personally love. And so I've been playing this on Tabletop Simulator uh, to Kenu, and it's been really fun, really great. <laughs> so I'm excited for that, and I know that's going to come out this summer. Um, I'm excited. That will be on my shelf for sure. That's cool. Yeah, I I thought they were done with the crazy tea games from Tashini. No, they have two like, more. Oh, they have to Kenu, which I've played, and then they have another one, which was just announced that I obviously don't remember the name of because it's long and hard to pronounce <laughs> yeah i think they think it's funny now they're just like haha nobody can say our game's name <laughs> <laughs> that could be it's called tawantinsuyu <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah yeah i think i talked about this a few weeks ago butchered it thoroughly yeah <laughs> but i just saw a picture and of course i instantly want it of course <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No, I'm with you, actually. That's Teotihuacan is like, I think was my number one game that year. Um, Trismegistus last year was another game I really enjoyed that kind of flew under the radar a little bit. Yeah, that one I I had a lot of issues with. However, um, I I think there's a solid game there. I'm just not. It it was rough. It was a rough learn for me because I learned by myself through the rule books and it just didn't click. Nothing clicked. So it was just hard. Yeah, it's a bad To give it another shot. It's still on my shelf, so I should should play it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I hear that. Yeah, that rule book was rough, and there wasn't a lot of materials to go with it, so I understand that one. Yeah, but, you know, everything deserves a play um, and possibly a replay. (laughs) I mean, I learned, like, 500 games last year, so it's... My time is... (laughs) My time is valuable. (laughs) <laughs> yeah no <laughs> i hear you yeah it's it's hard to kind of give a game enough attention to really get into it especially when there's so many good choices to play otherwise oh for sure yeah yeah my game group and i i've done a, a 10 by 10 this year and we've tried to keep up with it with the oh god i can't do that <laughs> yeah <laughs> but i mean the first few months it was fun and it's not something i've done in five years as a podcaster but it was like certain games that we all kind of enjoyed, but hadn't played as much as we would have liked and kind of get to dig into them a little bit and find out, Ooh, we actually really like this one or actually this one's not as good as we thought it was kind of a thing. So yeah, I definitely understand. For me, it kind of feels more like homework. Like, all right, let's play, let's get knocked this off the list a little bit. There are a couple of games on the list that feel like that a little bit. Cause they're not as much, you know? So yeah. So upcoming stuff, I guess we're kind of all in the same boat there. Um, is there anything recent, like in the last, let's go six, nine months since the last few months have been kind of dry um, that's come out that especially like anything that you feel maybe flew under the radar a little bit. People aren't talking about as much. I don't know if you ever played like the Harry Potter Hogwarts battle, but they, they redid it with a toy story theme. So that one's pretty exciting. Um, I love toy story. Of course I love Harry Potter. Um, and so that's a cooperative deck builder. Um, so if you like toy story, that one would be one to check out for sure. <laughs> Yeah, I've been playing a lot of escape type rooms like Exit and Unlocks. And I've recently um, low memory, the Escape Tales low memory. Um, again, more from Board and Dice. They have had a lot of good games in the past few months, it seems. 
Um, lots of expansions. So yeah. I got I got the Teo expansion, which just came out too, and that's exciting. And the yeah. Underwater Cities expansion, which is exciting. Oh, that one's fantastic! Yeah. Oh my god, it's so good. It's so very good. Um, yeah, that's about. I mean, I Aftershock kind of flew under the radar, which is a one from Stronghold, and that's kind of like it's from Alan Moon, the designer of Ticket to Ride, and Bobby West. And, you know, it kind of has that ticket to ride feeling of placing, like, your, your bridges down, but it's more of an auction-type game, which is great to see, because I love auction-type games, and it's, you know, you don't really see that so much anymore. It's, so it's it's cool to, you know, have that. It's very light, kind of, like, with under, under an hour kind of game, and that's been fun. That's cool. Yeah, that one was on Kickstarter originally, right? Yeah, yeah. Just been playing a lot on Tabletop Simulator. That's basically <laughs> what I've been doing. Yeah, that's, that's actually not... a good question. I mean, especially right now. I mean, it's kind of, I feel like most episodes we've been doing lately, we bring this up at some point. And you mentioned the new Tashini game on there. Are there any games in particular on Tabletop Simulator that you played and you said, wow, this is really good and I haven't seen this before, or this is a really good implementation because it's user-generated content, so the quality is up and down. Like anything, yeah, definitely the quality is up and down. Um, definitely been playing a lot of um, the crew from Cosmos. Mm, so it. good, love, love, love it. So it it really needs more than two players. So it, that's been a big hit um, on Tabletop Simulator. I also got to play uh, Mini Express, which is on Kickstarter now. And that's if you are familiar with Mini Rails, it's same designer um and so that, that that's a really cool like really light train game i mean you're either laying track or collecting stocks so that you know that's been fun and last month i i had my favorite game of the month was planet unknown which is also on kickstarter which is totally up my alley and it's amazing that it's available so well on tabletop simulator awesome that's cool yeah it's really cool to see like the different random stuff it just kind of pops up, especially like with Kickstarter now. It's such a good way to explore the games. Yeah, and feature your game. I mean, I think it's. I think everybody doing Kickstarter should have that feature, so then people can actually play the game before. I, I think it would probably help sell the game. I mean, if yeah. people can play it first <laughs> to see that that's how most people want to judge buying a game. Me, I just like playing anything. I'll, I'll play whatever. Hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. Awesome. Well, I mean, thanks for coming on and thanks for sharing kind of not only your favorite game and talking about Ginkopolis, which is kind of one of those hidden gems that hopefully more of us get a chance to try here soon, but also like what you've been playing lately and what people should check out on Tabletop Simulator. Do you have anything, you know, recent posts or anything you want to point people to? Obviously, we know you from Board Game Geek, but if you want to you know, share your username, Twitter handle or anything so people know where to find you. I mean, you can search Punkin312. That's my handle, P-U-N-K-I-N-312, and you'll probably see a bunch of photos of games <laughs> or stuff, uh, stuff Hodge. Um, but, yeah, I mean, my blog, I post Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and always my new-to-me blog, which is probably my most read blog post of the month. Every month is the first, you know, the first day of the week of, you know, the month I will post my favorite, all of the games. I rank everything from worst to best. And so when I went through my shelf in April, I played a bunch of not so great games. So <laughs> April was kind of sad. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> 
but I still ended up playing a lot of great games too. It's just, it's still so great to learn all the games because now I know. One of the reasons we wanted to have you on, we know how many people read your blog and reference it and talk about the games you're playing and kind of use it as a barometer. So that's, it's kind of cool just to shoot around the random games you've been playing and new stuff that's coming out. So oh, we really yeah. appreciate Thanks. you coming Thanks, anytime, on. guys. Thanks, Steph. Yeah. All right, so that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. Hey, and this is Anthony. At the table. 